Well, I want to extend my welcome to all of you as well this Easter. And uh, as I was listening to Kyle talk about all the various things we have coming up, also on Wednesdays, we have a great programming for your family, for kids. We have what's called Wow Woods on Wednesday. It starts at 6. They play games. They have awesome stories and activities, Bible memory. Fifth, sixth grade meets junior high, senior high as well. So don't forget, during the middle of the week, some great ways to help your kids, family grow in Christ. Well, I want to tell you about something that happened in my senior year, which, as I get older, feels more and more like ancient history. I, um, I kept hearing family and friends ask me a question. Have you heard yet? Have you heard yet? Have you heard yet? And I kept saying, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, I have not. What they were asking me was if I had heard whether I'd been accepted by a particular Christian college that I had applied to. So every day I would go to the mailbox to, you know, get my acceptance letter, and finally the day came. No more having to answer the question, have you heard yet? And I reached in, and I pulled out a very thin envelope. And it kind of upset me a little bit, because I thought, if this is a, a, a welcome acceptance kind of note, it would be much thicker or in a packet with more forms to fill out, a catalog with classes. I thought to myself, certainly this isn't a rejection letter. I mean, this is a Christian college. Christian colleges don't reject anybody, do they? <laughs> Not I. And I'm a missionary kid after all. I mean, come on. So I nervously opened it up and pulled out the letter and unfolded it. And I was absolutely devastated with what I read it says something like this, Dear Mr. Hummel, we regret to inform you that your grades do not meet our academic standards, therefore you will be denied entrance into our school. And I felt all of a sudden so ashamed and so embarrassed. What do I tell my family and friends? And worse than that was, I've not been accepted. I mean, I've not been accepted by Christians. What is that all about? Maybe you've experienced something like that in your own life. By the way, I later met my wife, and my grades shot through the roof. Just, <laughs> had to, just so you know, all right? All the credit goes to her and God. Um, and, uh, but you've probably experienced something like this as well. Maybe you've experienced it from an institution. You know, you got turned down for the loan because your credit's not good enough. Or maybe you got turned down by a school or graduate program you're trying to get in. Maybe you got a pink slip from uh, your job because they don't need you anymore. They're downsizing. Or maybe you applied for a job and you were told that you did not have enough qualifications. We hate to feel rejected. We hate to feel put off. We hate to feel like, like our lives don't matter. All of us want our lives to matter. None of us wants to feel like we're a failure. We, we struggle with that, especially in this Western culture that we live in, which is so based on individualism and success. Or maybe you got a letter, this is probably the worst one of all, from somebody you're in love with. You thought they were in love with you, and they let you know that they didn't want to be together anymore. That can be so devastating when you thought there was something there, and all of a sudden it's gone. I want you to imagine what it's like to receive a letter from God with me for a moment. God's, God whose standard is 4.0 plus. And all of us know that none of us are 4.0 plus. None of us are perfect. That's God's standard. So if that's the case, what on earth does God have to say to us? That's kind of scary. 
Well, this weekend, you get to find out what God wants to say to you. When you came in, you received a worship folder, and in there is this card, and it looks like this. It has deer, it's got a blank, and then on the back, there are five cutouts. I want you to get it out right now, would you please? Take that out now. And um, if you didn't get one, our ushers are going to start roaming the balcony in the bottom floor here, and they'll get you one, but you gotta raise your hand, okay, if you need one, if you missed it, because you don't wanna miss out on this. So we have several who are raising their hands here, and if you'll keep them up, they'll eventually uh, get to the sum in this section over here, all right, that need uh, some cards, all right? So keep them up, don't give up, okay? And by the way, it says, pull open when instructed. I won't ask how many of you didn't pay attention to that. We know what school you didn't get into, just kidding, all right? All right, just close it back if you did, all right? But we made it pretty hard to do it. I don't want you to open it yet, okay? I don't want you to open it yet. Just keep your hands raised and we'll get these to you, all right? Here's what I want you to do. In the first cutout, at the very top, I just want you to write in your name. That's all I want you to do. So put your name in there on the first cutout at the top. Not the front where it says dear blank, but on the cutout, all right? Now, while you're doing that, and thinking about what on earth would God want to say to me today, I want to tell you about a very dear friend of Jesus, one of his closest friends, one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. I want to talk to you about Peter. Peter's like the first guy that got out of his boat and got into the boat that Jesus had. And here's what I mean. He got out of the fishing business for fish and he got into the Lord's call, which was to spread the love of God to the whole world. In our church, we like to say here, near, and far. And he was a devoted follower of Jesus. He really loved Jesus a lot. And uh, Peter, if you know anything about his life, could also be kind of a pain. And what I mean by that is he, he was kind of overly confident. And sometimes he said things that he didn't follow through with. He was um, uh, courageous, but at the same time, fearful. He was boastful at times. Um, that's why I love Peter, because he's so much of what many of us are in different aspects. And as he's going along in this journey with Jesus, he and all the other disciples get to that place where Jesus is about to die. And Jesus says to them all, I want you guys to know that they're going to arrest me and crucify me and you're all going to scatter from me. You're going to run away from me when I need you the most. And Peter didn't like that. He had a response for Jesus, and we find it in Matthew chapter 26. It says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Philip, all of you are going to desert me. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Lord, these guys may run out on you. John may run on you. James may run out on you. Andrew may run out on you, but not me. I will be with you all the way to the end. In verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times, not once, not twice, but three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. That's quite a claim, isn't it? There's a lot of confidence there. You're telling me as God that I won't. I'm telling you as Peter, I will not desert you. 
You're telling me I'll run? I'm telling you I won't. Well, Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, taken to a religious court where they brought all kinds of false charges against Jesus. Peter is there in the background, and he has his moment. Here's what it says in verse 59. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. Here's Peter's chance, right? Take a stand. You bet I was. What you do to him, you're going to have to do to me. And in verse 70, it says, Peter denied it in front of everyone. In front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Have you ever had one of those moments where your mouth gets ahead of your brain? You're panicked, you're scared, you're, you're, you're intimidated, and you, you say something that's not true. You lie to kind of save yourself, get out of it, and then all of a sudden you go, oops, why did I just do that? How, man, oh my goodness, I gotta make this right. Well, Peter gets another opportunity to make it right. Second chances are good. He says in verse 71, later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't know the man. I don't even know the man, he said. Man, twice, twice, now with an oath. And by the way, Jesus is there. They see each other while this is going on. Verse 73, third opportunity. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Can you imagine the gravity of those words? A curse on me if I'm lying. He says that while he knows he's lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and the Bible says that Peter remembered what the Lord said to him, and Luke tells us that Jesus looked right at him. And Peter went out and says he wept bitterly. He had failed to win the prize. Here's what I want you to do. On the back, in the second cutout, off to the right a little bit, I want you to write the word prize, P-R-I-Z-E. So down and to the right of your first notch, all right, and that second cutout, prize, P-R-I-Z-E. Peter goes out, and all of a sudden his confidence is broken. Doubt must have filled his mind and his heart. Guilt and shame must have wrapped itself around him like a wet blanket, and he could not shake it off. He had totally blown it, even after he had insisted he would never deny Jesus. Now, all of us, every last one of us in this room, every one of us has failed God at some point in our life. We've failed others. We've even failed ourselves. We've blown it. But you know, some of us look at our lives, we look at ourselves, and, and we realize that we're kind of repeat offenders. I don't mean, I mean, none of us are perfect, so we do repeat sins, but I mean like we repeat it often. And we make all kinds of boasts, we make all kinds of claims, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that, and we still fall on our backs. And what happens is some of us get to that place in our life where we just give up. I can't win the prize. I'm not good enough. And as a result of that, 
doubt fills our mind. So what I want you to do is I want you to write in the middle blank, all right, the middle one, I want you to write the word doubt, D-O-U-B-T, doubt. So you've got prize at the top, uh, I'm sorry, you got your name at the top, then you have prize, and then the third one in the middle, you've got doubt. I've known people, not even those who are Christians necessarily, but also Christians, who have been a lot like Peter. They've been confident, they've been proud, I can do this, and in many ways they've been successful and they've achieved a lot, only to crash and burn. Do you know people like that? Maybe that's been your story. And they, you know, their marriage falls apart, their kids, you know, go off the reservation, so to speak, they lose their savings, they, they uh, end up with uh, problems in relationships and in finances and in other kinds of areas. Everything just falls apart in their life. And they're shaken by it. They're shaken by it. Not only does doubt fill them, but shame overcomes them because everybody was kind of watching them, you know, and they were kind of bragging about, I can do it. So here's what I want you to do. In the third notch down, I want you to write the word shame, S-H-A-M-E, shame. You say, Pastor, I was feeling pretty good when you had my name and the word prize. But now that I had to put guilt, I'm sorry, now that I had to put doubt and shame, I'm not sure I even want to see this letter. But I felt it, haven't you? Haven't you felt like a failure? Haven't you felt like maybe you failed too many times? Haven't you sometimes looked at yourself in the mirror and thought to yourself, if I were God, I wouldn't tolerate me? Or have you ever, you know, crashed and burned and just made a mess and people took the opportunity to kind of jump on, you know, and remind you of how you fail and how miserable you are and how you are no good and how you never accomplish anything? Have you ever had somebody do that to you and, you know, you all of a sudden you wear this label and everybody remembers you by the disaster, everybody reminds, remembers you by your sin or by your failure and you kind of wear that around and you just, you just give up. You just feel like there's just no hope for me. I, I'm just never going to, I, I'm never going to achieve anything. I'm ne- I'm, look, I'm, I'm 60 years old or I'm 50 years old or I'm whatever and I thought I'd be further along by now. What a mess, what a mess. Well, listen, good news is Jesus went to the cross for Peter and he went to the cross for you and me in all of our failure and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our doubt. That's why he hung on the cross. He took that like a sponge. He absorbed that all on himself, and he died the death that we should die because we aren't perfect. But God loves us so much, he said, my son will do this for you. My son will die for you so that I could treat you like my son. And Jesus proved his death by rising from the dead. And after the Lord rose from the dead, he went and appeared to his followers, and he appeared especially to Peter. But Peter struggled to think that God really wanted him anymore. And Peter and the other disciples went up to Galilee where Jesus told them to wait. It's kind of where everything started in the first place. In John chapter 21, Peter says something remarkable. He says, it's just, this is it. He says, I am going fishing. Sounds like a Minnesotan, doesn't it? I'm going fishing. And scholars tell us, that given the context of what's about to happen in John 21 and what's happened before, given the context of the grammar that's used there, it's Peter's resignation. Have you ever resigned? I don't mean literally resigned, but have you ever in your soul just resigned and said, I give up? That's what Peter does. I don't blame him. I mean, he looks at the other guys, 
He realizes how boastful he was, how proud he was. He realizes how he said he'd be there even if the rest of them ran away. He had three opportunities, three times to deny Jesus. And as far as Peter's concerned, he'll always be a loser. And I just can't imagine that God wants him on the team. On the last cutout, I want you to write the words, I always will be. I always will be. Write them in. I always will be. I'm going fishing. Sometimes we feel the same way. I always will be known to be, and then we fill in the blank. The loser, the failure, the wreck, the betrayer, the denier, the adulterer, the thief, the liar, the whatever it is. That's just what I'll always be. So Peter and the guys go out fishing. They fish all night and catch nothing. Dawn breaks, and on the shore is this stranger, and he calls out, hey, guys, have you caught any fish? Nothing. I haven't caught anything. He yells out again, and he says, take your nets and throw them on the other side. That sounded so familiar. It's like, yeah, we heard that before once upon a time, maybe a couple of years ago. So they take those nets and they throw them on the other side. And it's like every fish in the vicinity went swimming into those nets. In fact, they became so heavy they couldn't pull them in. And John yells out and John says, guys, it's him. It's the Lord. Peter, who had taken his outer coat off, was working in his shorts, grabs his coat, puts it on and dives in the water and starts flailing his way to the shore. The other guys, I want to hope there's a DVD in heaven. The other guys must have been watching like, there he goes again. He always will be Peter. Rest of them, you know, used their brains and rowed to shore and dragged the heavy catch of fish with them. Why was Peter in such a hurry to, to get to shore that he throws his coat on in respect and swims with that soggy thing hanging all over him into the shore. The same reason I would go to the mailbox every day. Have I been accepted or have I been rejected? Peter wanted to know, am I on the team or am I off the team? How about you? Are you on the team or off the team? When Peter shows up with the others, Jesus already has breakfast made. Nobody wants to ask him where he got the fish. In the Middle East, when somebody invites you for a meal, and it's still very true today, especially amongst the Bedouins, when somebody invites you for a meal, it's the equivalent of saying, I like you, and I want to share my life with you. In essence, Jesus was saying to them, guys, I still like you. I've never stopped liking you. I've never stopped loving you, and I want to share my life with you. But was that true for Peter as well? I don't know if it was during breakfast or after breakfast, maybe before breakfast. Jesus asks a very awkward question. Not just once, but three times. He says to Peter, he asks Peter in front of everybody else, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the word that Jesus uses for love is like the most superior word, the most superior kind of love. And that these, I think, is one of two things, or both. Peter, do you love me more than these guys who you said if they ran away, you wouldn't, but you did? Peter, do you love me more than the fishing business that you've gone back to? 
And Peter responds to him and says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Peter uses a lesser word for love. It's a word that means I'm very fond of you, I care for you, you're such a dear friend to me. And then Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs. Did you hear that? Then feed my lambs. Hey, that's the equivalent to saying I'm accepted. I'm in. He told me, he told me to go back to work feeding his lambs. And then Jesus asks a second time, again, using that superior form of love, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says, twice. Guys, I'm on the team, twice. Did you hear that? Twice. And then Jesus asks the third time, But this time Jesus uses Peter's word for love. Are you truly fond of me? Do you really care for me? There's a kind of a humility going on here, a humbling taking place. And Peter, it says, was hurt by what Jesus said. But it was a good hurt. See, remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. So it's like every time Jesus says, do you love me? And he reassigns him again. It's like Jesus is saying to him, every time you deny me, I still loved you. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that in my life as well. Every time you messed up, every time you blew it, every time you lost your temper, every time you misbehaved, every time you lied, every time you backed off, every time you did whatever it is, I still loved you. And the look that Jesus gave Peter when he denied him was not a look of condemnation. It was not a look of, see, I told you so. It was a look of love. It was the look that said, I'm going to the cross for this. And I prayed that God will keep you, which Jesus did. And so in that sense, it was a good hurt. And in another sense, what Jesus was doing, I think, is he was restoring Peter in front of everybody else so that none of them would ever go and say to Peter, you're a loser. Or when Peter got on their nerves to say, there you go again, you're always going to be Peter. You're the denier. Remember Peter, the denier. And by the way, these guys are capable of it because in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it says that they were all arguing who's going to be the greatest. So Jesus is saying, guys, no label for Peter. What I have forgiven, don't you ever bring up again. And then Jesus says to him at the very end, then feed my sheep. Peter is forgiven, restored, and accepted, and he has nothing to do with it. It was all God's gracious act of love. So the question is, what does God have to say to you today? What's his letter to you? It's time for us to find out. Now, these are really sticky, so you wouldn't open them ahead of time. Go ahead and open them. It'll sound like a shower of rain. And I want you to read what God wants to say to you today. So just go ahead and read it there. And imagine this is what God is saying to you.
Do you have a chance to read it? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe what it says? Do you believe what it says? Say, ah, it's really hard for me to believe it. God really has his arms open wide given who I am and what I've done. Hey, remember Peter? Say, yeah, but that's history. Sometimes we need a new story. We need to hear from somebody who's experienced what we're talking about. And I'm so glad that Erin, one of our Wooddale community, said that she was ready to share her story. Now, her story is unique to her situation. But it's what God did for her life. And maybe you can relate to it in some aspect. But this is a, this is a real life story of finding out that God's arms are open wide. And God gives us meaning and God gives us our value. Would you please watch as you hold your letter and listen to Aaron's story? Struggling, I think, is knowing that you have to keep going, but not knowing if you can. We lose sense of who we are and who our creator is. My biggest struggle has been struggling with an eating disorder. I think I spent a lot of time trying to make everyone happy and it wasn't working. So then I thought that if I made myself perfect enough, that then they would be happy enough. I was knee deep in nursing school and I was almost done actually. But I just knew in that moment that I couldn't keep going like this because something bad was gonna happen. And um, I called the head of the nursing department and I said, I, I have to go. That was definitely the first time I realized I couldn't do everything by myself. My really logical brain loved treatment because I could put everything together and understand why I was the way that I was. And I ended up unpacking a lot of physical trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma in my past to like piece together why I ended up in the state that I was in. I felt like it was something bigger than just the feelings and the thoughts. I knew it had something to do with God, but I didn't have enough of a base of a relationship with God to understand what that was. So I Googled a group to come and talk to, and it was here at Wooddale. And I met really accepting people who showed me what hope looked like, like really healing hope, not just kind of that half healing where you figure things out, but you don't feel very good. I had a mentor ask me what, who Jesus was and what it meant that he died on the cross for us. And she took out a piece of paper and we had Jesus, we had a cross, and then we used my Bible as God, so we stood up the Bible. And she showed me how Jesus dying on the cross was like him standing in front of me when God looks at me. Because what is more perfect to God than his own son? And the fact that like God sees that when he looks at me was just everything. I had my mentor ask me, like, Aaron, do you want to hand your life over to Jesus Christ? And it was a no-brainer. I really understood in that moment, which was the biggest healing piece for me, that I was not put on this earth to starve and die. After I accepted Jesus, for the first time in my life, I wanted to eat. And I wasn't scared to do it. I'm still discovering past hurts that I didn't know about. It's still a fight. It's just now I have the power on my side. God came a long ways to get me 
and he kept coming to get me, no matter where I was at. And I just really believe that if he could come that far and get me and change my life, he can just really meet anyone, anywhere. It takes a lot of courage to tell your story, but I wanted you to meet Erin. She's with us this morning. So Erin, would you just stand? Would you give it up for Erin? Thank you, Erin. Peter, Aaron, Dale, Marcia, Colin, all of us. All of us have something in us. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. We want to feel like we have worth and value. But there's so many things in us that work against it, our sinfulness. And there's so many things other people say and do to us that makes us feel like we're never going to have any worth and value. But Jesus breaks that all down and he tells us that we have value and worth. And we know we do because he died for it. He would not die the way he did if he didn't love us. And he doesn't promise that this life is gonna be easy. It wasn't easy for him. But he promised us to be with us in this life and he promised us, us a beautiful and wonderful life someday with him when he returns. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've been trying to find your acceptance, your purpose and value in your works and your money, in morality and religion and whatever it is, why not surrender to Christ today? Why not give your heart to him today? Why don't you give him a chance today? I'd like to help you do that. So if you just bow your heads, all of you with me for a moment, just close your eyes have a special time here. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer so that if you have never prayed this prayer or you're unsure if you've ever really surrendered yourself to Christ, you can do that right now and be sure. Just simply say these words in your own heart to the Lord silently. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for me. It's hard for me to believe it, but I will accept it. I'm tired, Lord, of trying to earn acceptance. I'm tired of my failures. I'm tired of rejection. I'm tired of trying to find my worth and value in other people's opinions. I accept that you love me just as I am. God, I want to leave behind everything else that I've trusted. I want to leave behind my sins. I repent. Forgive me. God, take me and just fill my life with your presence. The new journey, God. And I want to trust you one day at a time. Or maybe you're here this weekend and you know Christ, but you've taken an exit off the road, so to speak, and you've kind of gotten lost out there and You've confused what gives you worth and value. You're back to thinking it's by your efforts and, man, it's a brutal world out there. Why don't you come back home? Why don't you rededicate yourself this Easter to the Lord? Just, just this Easter, just tell the Lord, Lord, as spring is about to start, new life is to be born. God, I, I renew my commitment to you. I refresh my commitment to you. 
We trust you and follow you. 